kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. What is that? Okay, that was me. Okay, good <laughs> evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday. It's a uh, little after six, and it's another edition of Auntie Nanny um, with me this evening. Can you guys hear us? Um, with me this evening is the... Lovely, vivacious, and ever so happy Miss Jeannie K. Can they hear us, Jeannie? Yes. They, okay. Yes, they can. Just Yay. like. Um, I'm sorry to say, Very won't be joining us this evening. He was feeling a little under the weather. Which is why you have the shitty production value <laughs> from Jeannie K this evening, folks. Jeannie is also acting as my producer this evening, which I couldn't do the show without you. Thank you, Jeannie. Shit. Okay. Um, I guess, should we do the CASA update first? Um, we sure can. Is Alex available? Uh, yeah. Okay, just one second. I will get Alex in here. Okay. Hi. Um, um, good evening and welcome to the CASA weekly update for the week of 3-16-2015. Hi, Alex. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Um, okay. Um, so you went on another trip this weekend. Yeah, we were down in in Fort Worth for the uh, bait blast. How was that? It was good. It was long. <laughs> it was long days. Yeah. Uh, it was five hours on Friday. 12 hours on Saturday and another five hours on Sunday. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was brutal. <laughs> and, and yet you still managed to issue some calls to action while you were there. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> Local alerts, um, calls to action. I was like, my God, does Alex ever sleep? I did, we did We did five this weekend, actually. One, yeah. two, two of which I was working on on the plane. On God. Thursday, um, actually, I think I cranked those out while I was on the plane. Um, 
and then uh, you know we put out three more on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What did we do? Um, actually, I have to correct the Pennsylvania call to action. Um, I, I got an email from Bill Godshaw uh, letting me know that some of my details were a little bit off. So um, anybody listening, uh, just know that we'll probably be refreshing the Pennsylvania call to action uh, to include some more details. Um, That's me, by and, the way. What's Good. you? Jeannie, Miss Jeannie lives in Pennsylvania. Oh, I keep, I, I keep thinking you live in, in western New York. Well, that's because Buffalo, New York is the closest major city to me. That's why you think that. There you go. So, well, Jeannie will be fixing Pennsylvania. And uh, at at the moment, uh, we just have it set up so that people are sending uh, emails to their representatives. Uh, But Bill clued me in that we need to include your senators as well. Um, So I will be making that correction soon, probably tonight. Um. We also issued a call to action for Washington State. Um, This was actually, did we do that on Thursday? What day is it? It's it's Monday. Um, We actually received word that uh, I hope I'm getting this right, the, the right state, the right committee. Um, the House Committee on Commerce and Gaming uh, actually heard this today. So, uh, I, seriously, I just got home a little bit ago and turned my brain, turned my brain off. Um, so I don't have any updates on this. But um, it, it was in a hearing today. I don't think it was likely to be voted on. Um, but but this committee is uh, probably the most friendly committee that we're going to see. Um, and so it really needs to get changed here. And they're not focusing on the tax at all. Um, okay. uh, whether that means that they are looking to just carve out the tax altogether or not, I, I can't confirm that. Um, but they're more interested in the per- the, the ban on flavored e-liquid, uh, online sales, and labeling requirements. Um, so we sort of, it's, it's not very clear in this um, call to action, but uh, the, the idea was to have people writing in comment on those particular points, um, okay. although we did, of course, leave in comments about uh, the tax. Um <laughs> Because that's tax is ridiculous. Um, yeah. So that was Washington and Pennsylvania. Those came out on Thursday, uh, and then yesterday, while I was sitting at the convention, uh, we cranked out Rhode Island, um, which is an indoor use ban, mm-hmm. um, and that applies to every public indoor space, including vapor shops. Um, that goes to a committee hearing on Wednesday the 18th at 5.30 p.m. 
Uh, so if you're in Rhode Island, please check out our call to action and send a letter and I guess plan on attending that hearing. Um, Alabama is looking at taxing e-liquid at 25 cents per milliliter. Um, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> that would add um, $7.50 to a 30 milliliter bottle. Yeah, that's a lot. The, the funny thing about this bill um, is, I don't know, Alabama and Arkansas must be talking to each other because they've got some similar typos, um, which I, I'll get to Arkansas next. Um, Alabama, uh, at some point, they reference mill millimeters. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's the <laughs> section of the bill where they talk about the the tax. That it would be kind of funny if they wanted to impose twenty five cents per millimeter of liquid. <laughs> I thought it might be entertaining to have Carl do a very sciencey criticism of that and, and like tell them how that's how impossible that is. Um, maybe, maybe after the bill goes away, if, if we can make it go away, that would be awesome. It's, it's more funny if it actually gets you know, presented <laughs> as testimony. Um, I just, I, it's, it's, it's a dry, it's a dry humor proposal. I, I, I know. I, I don't think Carl would want to spend the time doing it, but <laughs> in, in my little world, it's, it's pretty hilarious. Well, it, um, it's, it is funny only because, you know, we haven't moved on to the metric system like the rest of the world. And it's ironic that places are getting it wrong. You know, milliliter, yeah. millimeter. Yeah. yeah. It probably is just a simple slip of the quill. Um, <laughs> but still, <laughs> it's funny. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, it goes further to the point that lawmakers do not understand these products. Mm -hmm. um, they're having trouble getting the measurements correct. <laughs> um so, uh, or they're having problems spelling correctly. That's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this one, uh, as of yet, I don't believe there is a hearing scheduled. Things could have changed today. I haven't checked. Um, but this was referred to the House of Representatives Committee on Ways and Means General Fund. Um, and there's a link in our call to action. Uh, the Alabama website is a little difficult to navigate, um, but uh, if you if you goof around there, you can find probably when and where they'll have a hearing. And of course, we will update as we learn more. Um, Arkansas again, another indoor use ban, um, and actually, as a couple people had noted earlier, this has been introduced for a while. Actually, we're just not getting around to it, um, but. Uh, this one is likely to have a hearing this week. It was supposed to be heard, um, I think, was it Wednesday last week? Yeah. Um, but the, the meeting ran too long and they couldn't fit it in there. Um, so it got rescheduled for likely sometime this week. Um, and 
this is one of those where, again, a clear demonstration of lack of understanding of these products um, in their haste to fold this into the existing smoking laws. The way the bill is written, it would actually prohibit someone from carrying an e-cigarette in an indoor public space. I read that one. I was like, wow, from carrying it? Yeah. It just seems so odd. I'm sure that's not the intent, but just the way that it's written, (laughs) that's kind of, yeah. That's not good. Um, No. These people are a catastrophe. The people writing these things are, oh God, <laughs> they are grossly misinformed. They they need uh, they need our membership to educate them. Yeah, big time. So um, I hate to ask what's next. I haven't even I haven't even looked at the magical spreadsheet. Um, I believe. Tonight, I will be spending time on Vermont. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm just I'm getting caught back up here. Um, I think Vermont. I have to get caught up. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a tax bill in Vermont. Um, it looks like we're going to be cranking something out. Um, Vermont wasn't the flavor one too, was it? Was that um, New Hampshire? Let me consult the magic spreadsheet. <laughs> um, yes, Vermont has a flavor ban. Yeah. Um, uh, that would be uh, HB 59. Yeah. Um, I'm think of this. I don't know if we've actually put anything out for Vermont yet. Um, um Yes. Um, HB 59 is what we did issue a call to action for. Um, That is the ban on the sale of flavors. Um, (laughs) Yeah, all the New England states. Is Vermont still considered New England? Yeah, it is. It's not considered part of Canada, surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, all of them have, have... Connecticut, I think, had one, and well, New yeah, Hampshire but it, and it's that Vermont. guy that that DJ Wilson, that DJ Wilson guy goes around. He and that group that he's a member of, the the mayor's group, um, they 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 all get together on this on this legislation. That's why the New England legislation is so terrible, I think. I mean, just from reading their websites, it's pretty horrific. Um, but DJ Wilson was also the man who sold the town of Westchester on the idea of banning all tobacco sales. So nice, yeah. He's and so everybody guy. there is just like, yeah, that was a great idea. <laughs> totally listen to this guy. <laughs> He's great. Yeah, I guess it's it's nice. New England has that puritanical streak, so. It's never going to go away, unfortunately. It's kind of like California. It's kind of one of those things you fight and you fight and you fight and you fight and you try to slow it down. But they just have that streak going. Yep. You sound tired. Uh, I had a nap, so I'm I'm a bit refreshed. 
Um, you need more I, sleep. I'm just, I, I'm trying to to make sure that my brain doesn't melt tonight. I <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I've spent the past uh, <clears throat> last couple of days, actually all three days. No, yeah. I think from the moment I got to the airport on Thursday until now, uh, in a in like a mild panic because there's just so much going on that uh, yeah, but I, I, I don't know where to start. <laughs> I'll I'll give you a hint later. I just I um I did the opposite. I just like shut down after I did what I could like earlier this week. And then trying to read all the the science stuff and get that all gathered. It's it's um it literally I shut down for like three days. I was like I couldn't stand it anymore. Um, your brain does get on overload after a while. You do need a nap, but I think um, the thing you you realize after you've been doing this a while, and I've been doing this like six years. One person can't save the world. Sometimes they have to step up and try to do it for themselves. We can help. We can give guidance. We can't fix everything. And I know we want to try. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting some good participation from people. We are. I, I, have, to, I have to admit, and I, I, think, I think people need to hear that. that um, you, know, yeah. I, I, you know, Texas is a good, good example. Um, Texas did a great job. Yeah, and, and Pennsylvania, too. Um, mm-hmm. We've had... Uh, Almost almost half of our membership in Pennsylvania has participated. Actually, we gained we gained a thousand new people in Pennsylvania because Ooh. of this, this call to action. So excellent. Um, somebody or several people in Pennsylvania are stepping up and, and getting the word out, and that's great. That's excellent. Yeah. So, um, miles to go before we sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, God, I can't wait for legislative season to be over. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can't. Um, so go go do something normal, really. <laughs> no, seriously, go go do something normal. You'll feel better. Um, don't let your brain melt, and I'll, when we're done here, I'll come over and do what I can. Cool. Thanks for your help. <laughs> I'm happy to help. I don't want... I don't, uh, we can't have two or three people burning out at once. <laughs> at yeah. once. So we spread the load around. It's not too bad. Yep. Okay. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Jan. Have a good Thank night. Thank you, Jeannie. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Good night. Did not mean for that to sound so depressing because it's it's actually not. It's just, there's much more depressing things out there than this. Although I feel bad that Alex is taking so much of this on himself. You know, mm-hmm. <sighs> nobody's Superman, unfortunately, and everybody wants somebody to come along and save them. The world doesn't always work out like that. Um, if I sound funny, uh, it's um, because uh, a friend of mine um, passed away. So um, <clears throat> I'm uh, just going to try to work through that. So if I sound a little odd tonight, I'm sorry. I think um, 
We'll go with Jeannie's favorite story. Backyard burger and wiener roast targeted by the EPA. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency has its eyes on pollution from backyard barbecues. The agency announced that it is funding a University of California project, of course, to limit emissions resulting resulting in grease drippings with a special tray to catch them and a catalytic filter filtration system. The $15,000 project has the potential for global application, said the school. The school said that the technology they will study with the EPA grant is intended to reduce air pollution and cut the health hazards to barbecue pit masters from propane-fueled cookers. Charged with keeping America's air, water, and soil clean, the EPA has been increasingly looking at homeowners, especially their use of pollution-emitting tools like lawnmowers. The school is proposing two fixes to reduce emissions from barbecues. First, they want to cut back on grease flare-ups. The idea, a slotted and corrugated tray is inserted immediately prior to meat flipping and removed immediately after. This short contact time prevents the tray from overheating and volatizing the collected grease. This collected grease will then drip off into a collection tray that can be used at the pitmaster's discretion. But total capture isn't practical, so a filter and fan are proposed for installation. The secondary air filtration system is composed of a single pipe air duct system, which contains a specialized metal filter, a metal fan blade, a drive shaft, and an accompanying power system with either a motorized or manual method. The system can be powered either by an exterior electric motor or a change of drive shaft, directly spinning the fan blade or a hand-powered crank, said the write-up. The grant is part of the EPA's National Student Design Competition for Sustainability, focusing on people, prosperity, and the planet. The expected results, according to the proposal, we expect to limit the overall air pollution, PM, particulate matter, emissions, from barbecuing and to alleviate some of the acute health hazards that a barbecue pitmaster can experience from inhalation. The particulate matter present during cooking with and without a grease diverter and PM 2.5 filters will be tested and compared to that of current data using a conventional propane barbecue using a fume hood chamber with detectors at CECERT. Personal exposure of PM 2.5 will also be monitored throughout the experimentation period to determine the degree of acute exposure to particulates to the cook. And go ahead, Janie. I, can this get any fucking stupider? <laughs> for, <laughs> you know, first, okay, let's ban wood stoves because, you know, people haven't been keeping themselves warm since the fucking invention of fire with it. <laughs> and cooking your food. Now let's go after barbecue grills because, yeah, barbecue grills are the biggest source of air pollution in the state of California. I don't fucking think so. <laughs> uh, I think I think California has bigger problems. Um, looking at NASA satellite imagery, they're looking like they have about a year's worth of water left. Yeah, well, I say this every week, Jim, but people need to move out of the state of California because obviously everything there causes cancer. <laughs> I don't think it's just that, but I think the idea of turning the desert green was just a dumb fucking idea. You think? Uh, yeah. 
it just doesn't always work the way you predict it will. And then, you know, of course, you get droughts. I'm kind of surprised we don't see, like, California having rain dances at movie premieres and stuff. They desperately need something. Well, they so. need for Nestle to stop bottling water there. That's for damn sure. Because <laughs> they're still in full rolling production. Yeah. It, it just kind of amazes me. Either water belongs to everyone or it belongs to no one. And then, you know, I, I understand charging a fee for making it safe to drink. I, I understand the fee charging. I just don't understand. Like, we've talked about Detroit and the shit that they're going through there and the problems that they're having. And um, it's just sort of amazing to me that Detroit has water everywhere and they pay the highest price for it. California has water nowhere and they try to ban everybody from using it except the people who run like the air and water quality board. That kind of cracks me up. So, um, yeah, once again, the rules apply to everyone but you. If you're in government... The rules don't apply to you, which is nifty. Is nifty your politically correct way of saying it's totally fucked up? Yeah, it kind of is. Okay. I just, I don't want to start crying again. So if I sound off, I'm off. <laughs> okay. I like this one. Mysterious post office spy camera vanished one hour after Fox 31 reporter asked about it. When a reporter for a Denver Fox affiliate asked authorities with the U.S. Postal Service why a hidden surveillance camera had been placed at local post office such that it could capture the faces and license plates of individuals dropping off mail, the camera disappeared within one hour. The U.S. Postal Inspection Service admitted that it uses surveillance cameras but declined to explain why the camera had been placed at that location. After a U.S. Postal Service customer alerted Fox 31 Denver investigative reporter Chris Holmes of the fact that a hidden surveillance camera appeared to be monitoring and capturing images of customers' faces and license plates after they dropped off mail at Golden, Colorado's post office branch, he launched an investigation. However, as he began asking authorities questions as to why the camera had been placed there, it mysteriously vanished, said Chris Holmes in the... in there's embedded video footage that I don't think we're going to mess with. Within an hour of Fox 31 Denver asking the law enforcement branch of the U.S. Postal Service why the camera was snapping away month after month, the surveillance device was ripped from the ground and disappeared. Witnesses claimed that the camera had been placed as early as Thanksgiving of 2014. When officials with the U.S. Postal Service indicated they were unaware of the camera and that it had not been placed there as part of the facility's security program. Halsney contacted the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, the U.S. Postal Service's law enforcement division. U.S. Postal Inspection Service officials declined to meet Halsney for an on-air interview, but admitted that the agency does use surveillance cameras. Postal Inspector Pamela Durkee responded to Halsey's inquiry by sending an email which says, quote, We do not engage in routine or random surveillance. Cameras are deployed for law enforcement or security purposes, um, which may include the security of our facilities, the safety of our customers, and employees, or for criminal investigations. Employees of the Postal Inspection Service are sworn to uphold the United States Constitution, including protecting the privacy of the American public. 
However, Halsey noted that the camera was not positioned such that it could monitor the doors to the facility or areas in which postal workers might be victimized by a security threat. Instead, the camera was positioned such that it could only monitor the customer's license plates and faces as they left the facility. Halsey also followed up on the theory that the camera was there to assist with a criminal investigation, but could not find any city, county, or federal criminal search warrants on file that would justify such a camera placement. Um, We've talked about in the past uh, the U.S. Postal Service's mail covers program that's a, a separate surveillance initiative in which it photographs the covers of parcels and stores the images in a database. An audit concluded last year noted that the program lacked controls to prevent law enforcement agencies from obtaining the data for unjustified reasons. Fox 31's Chris Halsey also filed Freedom of Information Act requests with the U.S. Postal Service, the Office of the Inspector General, and the U.S. Postal Inspection Service in an effort to ascertain some specifics on this newly identified surveillance program's cost, contractors, and what happens with the data captured by the Golden Post Office's mysterious camera. However, none of the aforementioned agencies provided him with a policy on data retention, a list of contractors, or an explanation as to when federal authorities are allowed to use the photographs. He also attempted to contact Hop-On Incorporated, a surveillance camera manufacturer who claims to sell spy cameras to the U.S. Postal Service, but did not receive a reply. (sighs) So, my surprise face again. Yeah, you know, the only private place left is in between your ears. And if they could figure out how to walk around in there and find out what you were thinking, I'm pretty sure we know they would all do it. So, yeah. Yay. (laughs) So, if you're going to the post office, you can know you're going to be super duper safe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good God. Yeah. Um, Public's access to government records faces roadblocks aplenty. Very, you're sitting there in the chat. Why aren't you laying down? Public's access to government records faces roadblocks aplenty. It's getting harder and more expensive to use public records to hold government officials accountable. Authorities are undermining the laws that are supposed to guarantee citizens' rights to information, turning the right to know into just plain now. Associated Press journalists filed hundreds of requests for government files last year simply trying to use the rights granted under the state's open record laws and the U.S. Freedom of Information Act. What we discovered reaffirmed that we have seen what we have seen all too frequently in recent years. The systems created to give citizens information about their government are badly broken and getting worse all the time. We're talking about this issue now because of Sunshine Week, created a decade ago to showcase the laws that give Americans the right to know what their government is up to. These days, Sunshine Week is the time to put a spotlight on government efforts to strangle those rights. The problem stretches from town halls through state houses to the White House, where the Obama administration took office promising to act promptly when people asked for information and to never withhold files because they might be embarrassing. (coughs) Bullshit. (laughs) Act promptly. Hardly. (sighs) 
Sunshine Week is a national initiative to promote the importance of open government. Shortly after the Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 went missing over the South China Sea, we asked the Pentagon's top satellite imagery unit, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Did you even know we had a National Geospatial Intelligence Agency? No. I didn't know that either. What the U.S. was doing to help in the search. Agencies are supposed to give at least a preliminary response to such a question within 20 days. A full year later, after the largest and most expensive search in aviation history, the agency is telling us only that it has too many Freedom of Information Act requests to meet its deadlines. A few months ago, the Treasury Department sent us 237 pages in its latest response to our request regarding Iran trade sanctions. Nearly all 237 pages were completely blanked out on the basis that they contained businesses' trade secrets. When was our request made? Nine years ago. It takes the State Department about 18 months to answer, or refuse to answer, anything other than a simple request. This week, we filed a lawsuit against the Department for failing to turn over files covering Hillary Rodham Clinton's tenure as as Secretary of State, including one request we made five full years ago. As the President said, the United States should not withhold or censor government files merely because they might be embarrassing. But it happens anyway. In the government emails that the Associated Press obtained in reporting about who pays for Michelle Obama's expensive dresses, the National Archives and Records Administration blacked out one sentence repeatedly, citing a part of the law intended to shield personal information such as Social Security numbers or home addresses. The blacked out sentence... The government slipped and let it through on one page of the redacted documents. We live in constant fear of upsetting the White House. To its credit, the U.S. government does not routinely overcharge for copies of public records, but price gouging intended to discourage public records requests is a serious problem in many states. Officials in Ferguson, Missouri, billed the AP $135 an hour for nearly a day's work merely to retrieve emails from a handful of accounts about the fatal shooting of Michael Brown. That was roughly 10 times the cost of an entry-level Ferguson clerk salary. Other organizations, including BuzzFeed, were told they would have to pay unspecified thousands of dollars for emails and memos about Ferguson's traffic citation policies and changes to local elections. Last year, the executive editor of the South Florida Gay News asked the borrowed sheriff's office for copies of emails that contained a derogatory word for gays. The sheriff's office said it would cost $399,000 and take four years. They succeeded in stonewalling me, said the editor, Jason Parsley. In Mississippi, the entire education, the state education department demanded more than $70 an hour to review records when a reporter asked for its reorganization plans. Despite head-pounding frustrations in using them, the Freedom of Information Act and state open records laws are powerful reporting tools, but it's important to remember they don't exist just for journalists. They're for everyone. The right to know what public officials are doing, how they're going about it, what money they are spending and why, that right belongs to all citizens. Government works better when the people who put it in office and pay for it with their taxes have an unobstructed view of what it's doing. And that is why it's vital. 
that we fight every attempt from federal foot dragging to outrageous photocopying bills to hide the public information behind a big padlock door. We need to let the sunshine in. And these are the same sons of bitches that don't have a single problem in the world spying on every fucking thing you do in your day-to-day life and storing it somewhere. But, God forbid, they release the information that they're bound by law to give us. Yeah, that makes lots of fucking sense. I mean, we're rapidly approaching a time where the rule of law means little to nothing. Um, And if the people who are supposed to enforce that law have no respect for it, how can they expect citizens who are supposed to have even more respect for it to respect the law at all it becomes something you ignore something that gets in your way not i don't know but there really is going to come a time where the sort of behavior really bites these motherfuckers in the ass and i can't wait for it (sighs) okay gee um, gosh, this is so, you might as well follow that with this, with the CISPA offshoot. Really? Okay. <laughs> Yay. Anything you ever wanted to know about your privacy or hacking or cybersecurity, I think we pretty much cover it here. CISA cybersecurity bill advances despite privacy concerns. For months, privacy advocates have been pointing out flaws in CISA, the new reincarnation of the cybersecurity bill known as CISPA, that Congress has been kicking around since 2013. But today, that zombie bill lurched one step closer to becoming law. The Senate Intelligence Committee, with that bitch Dianne Feinstein, I'm sorry, I can't stand her, passed the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act, or CISA, by a vote of 14 to 1 Thursday afternoon. The bill, like the failed Cybersecurity Information Sharing and Protection Act that preceded it, designed to encourage the sharing of data between private companies and the government to prevent and respond to cybersecurity threats. But their critics have protested that CISA would create a legal framework for companies to more closely monitor Internet users and share that data with government agencies. After Thursday's vote, Senator Ron Wyden, the only member of the Senate's Intelligence Committee to vote against the bill, repeated those privacy concerns in a public statement. If information sharing legislation does not include adequate privacy protections, then that's not a cybersecurity bill. It's a surveillance bill by another name, he wrote. Ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to encourage private firms to share information about cybersecurity threats, But this information sharing is only acceptable if there are strong protections for privacy rights of law-abiding American citizens. Wyden's exact concerns about the final bill aren't yet clear. A dozen amendments to the bill were made in a closed-door session just before it was put to a vote, and those amendments hadn't yet been publicly released. In an interview on Bloomberg TV, following the vote, Intelligence Committee Chairman Richard Burr said that some of those newly adopted amendments were designed to prevent users' information from being shared with government agencies. Bullshit. We don't want them to send personal data to the government unless it's absolutely crucial to show the cyber attack. Hmm. 
so we bar them from providing that data to the federal government. Yeah, right. If it finds its way to the federal government, though, once we distribute it in real time and we realize there's personal information, any company that discovers it has to remove it or minimize it in a way that it can't be shared anywhere else. Looking at the most recently revealed public version of CISA, privacy advocates have pointed out that it would allow sharing of personal data that goes beyond cybersecurity threats. It also allows the sharing of private sector data with the government that could prevent, quote, terrorism or, quote, an imminent threat of death or serious bodily harm, end quote. That language, Open Technology Institute Privacy Council Robin Green has argued, means CISA might facilitate investigations into garden variety violent crimes that have nothing to do with cyber threats. If that weren't worrisome enough, the bill would also let law enforcement and other government agencies use the information it receives to investigate without a requirement for immense or any connection to computer crime, even more crimes like carjacking, robbery, possession or use of firearms, ID fraud, and espionage, Green wrote in February. While some of these are terrible crimes and law enforcement should take reasonable steps to investigate them, they should not do so with information that was shared under the guise of enhancing cybersecurity. For the moment, however, it's not clear how much of that potential for surveillance has ended up in the final amended version of the bill. And Green says that's problematic, too. The bill has the potential to seriously harm Americans' privacy rights, she said in a phone interview following the vote Thursday. And it wasn't even debated in public. Shocking. They never are. They never are. Um, So, yeah. I don't even know what to say about this stuff anymore. Well, I mean, and we all sit around and act like it's not happening. That's that's the problem. The problem isn't that the politicians are trying to get away with it. It's that we're allowing them to do so. Um, I, I don't know. I always feel like it's happening. To me, what's happening now is, God, I'm going to quote, Tom Clancy here it's a clear and present danger mm-hmm. you know and the idea that people are so used to not having privacy or like we called it last week like Jace, Jacob Applebaum calls it digital liberty that's what that is that's what privacy is to know that you have none that affects every aspect of your life and how you behave, and the things you say to people, and the things that they say to you. Um, you're a controlled actor in the space. You're not yourself. I don't want to live like that. I, mean, I don't, but I definitely don't want to live that way. And I know other people feel like they're forced to live that way. You know, I, I find it repugnant that reporters and activists who talk about this stuff wind up having to emigrate to Germany just for fear that, you know, their lives are in danger. Mm -hmm. Who wants to live like that? I don't. And, you know, there are lessons to be learned from the past, not just in America, but in every country. And I don't know if you saw about, um, if you noticed how lately 
you hear a lot about um, police abuse. Um, did you know that the Obama administration took steps to nationalize six police forces in the last week? When you nationalize something, that means there's federal control over it, not state or local control. Mm-hmm. The less control you have at a local level, the less control you have over how laws are enforced or whether people can be fired for doing things that are more than technically illegal. I have a real problem with that. I have a real problem with that. This is not something we should be doing. And if you look to the past, I'm not even talking about the past here, but if you look at world history, you look at the past, what happens when police forces become nationalized genie? Germany in the 1930s. Ding, 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 ding. And I'm not stomping on Germany. I mean, well, I'm not stomping on Germany either, Jen. My maiden name is Kaiser, so I know know, I might be a little German. What I'm saying is, you know, a a lot of that stuff was actually caused by the Versailles Treaty. So I, that's some fucked up shit that we probably don't want to talk about. But um, a lot of what happened there was directly caused by something else. You don't get a system we live in right now inside of vacuum. There are internal and external pressures that cause this sort of thing to happen. The biggest problem is, is that we don't pay attention. We're not vigilant. We don't care. And how can you not care if you know the past, if you know what has happened in the past? How can you not care about what's going to happen in the future? That's why we learn history, is it not? supposed to be it's supposed to be um, maybe that's why kids aren't taught so much history or not so much but maybe that's why kids aren't taught the history that we were taught I wasn't even taught the history you were taught the history that I know that I know now I had to go learn myself I had to go learn everything I know about the constitution and natural rights and in what the law really is and I mean, a lot of men who are really great thinkers put together our Constitution, okay? Um, The principles that surrounded that Constitution lasted, in all honesty, about a year before they started being tried. You had the Whiskey Rebellion. You, You had a lot of other really fucked up stuff that happened in this country that happened... Because the people who wrote that document acted in ways that weren't in line with the principles outlined in those documents. Now, the funny part is, if you've read the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers, how many kids read that, Jeannie? You have a child. How many of your children have read the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers? I'm pretty sure Bernie had to, but that was because we pulled him out of public school right most kids don't have to read them what you find in reading the federalist papers and the anti-federalist papers is in an odd way the actual federalists were more concerned with things going sideways which you wouldn't expect because without the anti-federalists we wouldn't have a bill of rights 
which is also an interesting thing. But people don't know this stuff. Not anymore. I mean, you don't hear anything of consequence on the news. All our newscasters are interested in is comparing themselves with, you know, war correspondents and and taking away that... I think war correspondents come back and they're really screwed up people. If, if you've ever seen any of them, they come back and they're, they're pretty screwed up from their experience. Just like anybody who has gone to war comes back and they're pretty screwed up from the experience. That's just what war does to people. But it galls me that people like Brian Williams took away that sort of special heroicism that war correspondents should have by lying about it. And this is the kind of thing that people on the news do. And the really funny thing is, you want to know something funny about Brian Williams? I follow a man named Jay Rosen. Jay Rosen is a very smart man who teaches the actual study of journalism, the way it's supposed to be done at um, New York University. He's a very intelligent man. And he's done some digging into the Brian Williams thing. Do you know Brian Williams wanted to be considered for the Tonight Show slot. He wants to be a comedian, not a news person. So why would you have someone like that reporting the news as the face of the brand? And yet NBC went forward with that. Now they're really screwed. It calls everything they do into question and everything they've ever reported in the past into question. You know, Dr. Nancy Snyderman, I'm so happy that bitch stepped down. Can I just say that? Yeah, After the Ebola thing, oh, I well, gotta go shit, out and Jen, you're allowed to say any damn thing you want. This is your show. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, I mean, Kevin's not going to tell you no. <laughs> I am so happy she stepped down. After that Ebola bullshit. Oh, oh, and I didn't put it in here because I don't like to panic people. Um... If, if you don't feel like you need to hide in a panic room already. Yeah, Ebola that we haven't heard anything about in the news lately. Oh, no, it's in the news. Do you know they're bringing back 11 people who have it here? And the ones that aren't showing symptoms, guess where they're putting them? I have no idea. In hotels. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that Isn't nice? Isn't that nice? <laughs> it's sweet. I'm reading it and I'm going, okay, I need to slow down because I'm losing something in the detail. And I'm going through it and I'm going through it and I'm going through it. And these people who are asymptomatic, but they've been exposed. So that means they've been vomited on, peed on, puked on or, or something, right? These people who have been directly exposed but aren't showing symptoms, they're going to house them off campus because they're going to put them. There's only two places in America that can successfully treat this. And they're both universities. So they're going to house them, quote-unquote, off campus. Okay. So if you look at the surrounding area of these two universities, they have hotels off campus. I'm like, okay, so logic dictates to me that's where they're going, unless they're going to put them in a boarding house or something. But aren't people going to be exposed to the people who've been exposed and if they're asymptomatic, which is fine, you can be asymptomatic and not carry it or, or carry it. Aren't those people going to be 
set up for a level of exposure they wouldn't ordinarily get. Isn't that kind of playing Russian roulette with people's I, health? I would have thought so, but then again, I guess I'm not a Harvard graduate and employed by the federal government, so maybe, you know, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know. I just find it really interesting. And it's Monday, so the news cycle should be picking up again. Right, so I kind of expect them to start talking about that Ebola story at any time. Who knows? <sighs> okay, I got off on a jag there. I'm sorry. Because there's so much more you wanted to hear, right? Blame me. Everybody knows if I'm around <laughs> there, there will be ooh shiny. That's okay. It was kind of on topic. It was about why people don't know what's happening in their country. Uh, Wikipedia sues the NSA over dragnet internet surveillance. There's a shocker. Wikipedia is suing the NSA over surveillance programs that involve tapping internet traffic en masse from communications infrastructures in the U.S. in order to search it for intelligence purposes. The lawsuit argues that in this broad surveillance revealed in documents leaked by former NSA contractor Edward Snowden, violates the First Amendment by chilling speech and the open exchange of information, and that it also runs up against Fourth Amendment privacy protections. Please, God, let somebody in the Supreme Court agree with me that, you know, what you do online is your digital papers. Um, <clears throat> the surveillance that we're challenging gives the government virtually unfettered access to U.S. communications and the content of those communications, says Patrick Toomey, an attorney with the ACLU, which is bringing the litigation on behalf of the Wikimedia Foundation, which operates Wikipedia and a group of human rights and media organizations, including The Nation Magazine and Amnesty International, who say that their sensitive overseas communications are imperiled by NSA snooping. So-called upstream surveillance involves direct access to physical cables, switches, and routers that enable the flow of information across the Internet. With its upstream efforts, the agency essentially copies virtually all international text-based communications, emails, instant messages, web searches, and the like, and searches them for terms related to its investigations. In the process, purely domestic conversations can also be swept up and retained by the NSA. The NSA copies and reviews the communications of millions of innocent people to determine whether they are discussing or reading anything that contains the NSA search terms, the ACLU lawyers wrote in their complaint filed today in the United States District Court in Maryland. Its purpose is to identify not just communications that are to or from NSA targets, but also those that are merely about its targets. In an op-ed in today's New York Times that was couple days ago. Announcing the lawsuit, Wikipedia's co-founder Jimmy Wales and Lila Tretkoff, executive director of the Wikimedia Foundation, cited tens of thousands of volunteers who write and edit Wikipedia entries around the world. Many of those volunteer contributors, they know, prefer to work anonymously, especially those who work on controversial issues or who live in countries with repressive governments. What's that like? <laughs> they fear that the NSA could be collecting information on contributors and perhaps sharing that intelligence with other governments, stifles freedom of expression and free exchange of knowledge that Wikipedia was designed to enable. 
With billions of users worldwide, Wikipedia possesses countless international communications and requests for data from its servers. As one NSA slide from the Snowden files indicates, the NSA is interested in the HTTP protocol used for those requests because nearly everything a typical user does on the Internet uses it. The slide includes a picture of Wikipedia's logo. An administration official told Reuters, we've been very clear about what constitutes a valid target of electronic surveillance. The act of innocuously updating or reading an online article does not fall into that category. Bullshit. (laughs) Upstream collection occurs under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA, a law passed in the 1970s, thank you Frank Church, to regulate overseas spying and amended in 2008 to allow collection of Americans' international communications under more expansive terms, so long as the NSA's target is a foreigner outside of the U.S. and it involves broadly defined foreign intelligence information. In addition to constitutional questions, the new lawsuit argues that the 2008 lawsuit, expansive though it is, still authorizes surveillance of only targets communications. It does not authorize surveillance of everyone. Bullshit. Nicole Mabas, a spokeswoman with the Justice Department, said in an email that the department is, quote, reviewing the complaint. If the case moves forward at all, it will reflect the impact of Snowden revelations. A previous challenge by Amnesty International and others to warrantless spying on Americans' international conversations was tossed out because the court said the plaintiffs couldn't prove that their communications could be monitored under the 2008 FISA Amendments Act. The Supreme Court upheld that decision in February 2013, just a few months before the first Snowden documents were published. The Snowden documents and subsequent admissions by the government, said to me, have made clear the government it is not just monitoring targets, but that in order to find the communications of those targets... It is monitoring the communications of nearly everyone. That broadens the scope of the surveillance at issue and removes some of the obstacles to people standing that we encountered in the previous case. Separate challenges to the constitutionality of collecting metadata on domestic calls under Section 215 of the Patriot Act are awaiting decisions in three federal appellate courts. So... People are going to the very last-ditch effort mm-hmm. to try to stop this. What, what, what are the chances, even if the court says, you need to stop doing this, that they're going to comply? Um, I would say slim to none. Yeah. I think, I think the chances are pretty low. <sighs> very. Should I say that? Because I'm pretty sure I'm already on a couple of lists. All I can say is yellow cake uranium, ICBMs, Moab, IS, guns, 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 Big Bang, airplane, hijacked rice, and anthrax. <laughs> really very... Did you, did you need to go through the whole really? list? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's pretty screwed up. <sighs> yeah, I love The Intercept, but I hate reading the stuff from The Intercept. Because um, especially the stuff by Jerry Scahill is very, very wordy. This is not by Jeremy Scahill. So I think it's a little easier to understand. Um, Because Jeremy Scahill is a great writer. Um, He's just very technical. 
he really breaks it down. And I tried to read some of that stuff a couple of weeks ago and almost gave myself a migraine. Even though I've read it to myself, reading it out loud is a different challenge. NSA global spy stations revealed. Sniff it all, collect it all, know it all, process it all, exploit it all. Latest documents leaked to journalists by NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden offer new insight into mysterious domes of... Okay, Barry, are you in the chat? Because <laughs> I really wish I could pronounce this word. Because uh, I'm going to have a hard time. Why hope I? Is that why hope I? Okay. Yeah, good enough. Um, and if it's wrong, it's Barry's fault because he's sick. Mm-hmm. Domes of Waihopai and the Global Spy Network, of which they represent a part. A new batch of Snowden documents offer an unprecedented look into the close relationship of the surveillance agencies of the so-called Five Eyes Nations and how a close look at the secretive base in New Zealand reveals new details about a global network of listening stations. Um, how they're operating to fulfill the NSA mantra on communications data, which says sniff it all, collect it all, know it all, process it all, and exploit it all. Reported on Saturday by The Intercept in the U.S. and the Sunday Star Times in New Zealand, the documents offer a detailed look at the alien-like station located in Waihopi Valley and reveals who and what kind of information the station targets, its inner workings, and how its operatives link to an international network of spy facilities run by the other so-called Five Eyes, comprised of the intelligence agencies of the U.S., U.K., Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. With names like Jackknife, Moonpenny, Scalpel, and Lady Love, the Five Eyes maintain enough listening bases around the world to capture the bulk of the entire planet's digital and telephonic communications. Regarding this global network of surveillance stations, the Sunday Star Time reports, Altogether, these bases can snoop on the entire world, friend as well as foe. The leaked documents do not talk about Waihopai. They use the station's secret Five Eyes codenamed Iron Sand. It is not clear why Waihopai is iron sand. An NSA map shows it is one of a global network of oddly named satellite interception stations. These stations are the eyes of the Five Eyes Alliance. Australia has a base near Golderton, a small port city on the west coast of Australia. Its code name is Stellar. The British station in Oman has the code name SNCC. Britain's King. Kenya base is known as Scalpel. Britain also spies on satellites from Carboy, a station in Cornwall, and from a base in Cyprus called Sounder. The American equivalents of Waihopai are Jackknife in Washington State on the Pacific Coast, Timberline in West Virginia, and Coraline in Puerto Rico in the Caribbean. The biggest of these is the Moonpenny base in Harrogate, Yorkshire. Yorkshire. According to the reporting, each of these bases is relatively identical, and all of the information collected at various sites is sent back to the NSA via a series of databases controlled and monitored by the agency. Earlier this week, The Intercept and the New Zealand Herald revealed how the Waihopai base was being used to spy on communications across Pacific Islands and share intercepted data in bulk with the NSA and the other five eyes. 
In turn, the other stations across the world are each responsible for collecting data over their assigned geographic area. Saturday's reporting expands on what had been previously disclosed about the New Zealand operations at Waihopai. According to the Star Times, everything inside the top secret station except the staff is foreign. As the report continues, all or nearly all of the major surveillance systems at the Waihopai base are U.S. supplied and can be found identically at all the other stations. All phone calls and internet, internet communications, they intercept and sort at the base go into the NSA databases. The only difference between this and an NSA base on New Zealand soil is that it is New Zealanders who arrive each day to maintain the NSA surveillance systems, sniff it all, collect it all, know it all, process it all, and exploit it all. The jocular spy speak slogans are a perfect summary of a truly global surveillance system. The Five Eyes Alliance is a global digital vacuum cleaner, which can scoop up giant amounts of information, far more than the human mind can really comprehend. Writing for The Intercept, journalist Ryan Gallagher reports that the primary target for the Iron Sand Station in New Zealand has been the large international telecommunications satellites that provide communications to and from all of New Zealand's Pacific Island neighbors and other Asia-Pacific nations. In terms of fallout and reactions to the latest revelations, Gallagher added, New Zealand's Prime Minister, John Key, insisted that the revelations were wrong, but then refused to explain why, telling a press conference he had, quote, no intention of telling you about how we do things. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, GCSB Chief Sir Bruce Ferguson admitted that mass collection of data was indeed being undertaken in the Pacific and said it was mission impossible to eliminate New Zealanders' communications from the data being swept up. Responding to the latest revelations on Saturday, GCSB declined to comment. In a statement issued to The Intercept and the Sunday Star Times, the agency's acting director, Yuna Jagus, said, We do not comment on international matters. Everything we do is authorized under legislation and subject to independent oversight. NSA spokeswoman Vanny Vines, we know her by now, said in a statement that the agency would not comment on, quote, specific alleged foreign intelligence activities. Vine added, the National Security Agency works with foreign partners to address a wide array of serious threats, including terrorist plots, the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, and foreign aggression. NSA's activities with foreign partners comply with U.S. laws and the applicable laws under which our partners operate. I think what really struck me was the picture with that one. You think? Yeah. Pretty fucking horrible, actually. So, I don't know. The more you know, the more you're less surprised by what you know. Less you know. surprised, but more disturbed. It, it's much worse than I ever thought it was. You know? It's just worse. <laughs> it's just worse. Um, and I have no... I have no idea what the hell you do to stop that. What, what do you do to stop that? Um, 
this is I'm going to stick the New Zealand article in the chat which is completely different than the article I read tonight on the air but that is just ridiculous but it shows the five eye bases if you scroll down you scroll down under Intellistat 18 monitoring zones. It shows Hawaii and Papua New Guinea, Australia, New Cal- Caledonia. The only thing they're not spying on is Vanuatu, which just fucking blows my mind. But you, you can see all these bases, and it's just fucking mind-blowing. Something to see, isn't it? <sighs> okay. So, do you think when the money runs out, this stuff actually stops? No. I think that they have a massive, and and this is a little bit tinfoil hat, but um, I honestly think that, you know, all those $500 hammers, um, <laughs> that a lot of that money went into a giant slush fund, and, and that is how they finance a lot of this stuff, um, and... Even if the money were to be cut off for all of it today, um, I really think they still have a giant hidden slush fund that they could fund it out of. So they would continue with what they're doing um, while people starve to death in the street. It's amazing, isn't it? And I mean, you know, I mean and and if they're not starving, you know, they just arrest them for, you know, cooking another grill in their yard. <laughs> Or, you know, violating the law by growing food on their front lawn. Because that's a crime. We have uh, we have this thing. Did I tell you about the guy that got arrested here for having cooking hot dogs and marshmallows on a fire in his backyard? You did, but yeah. tell it again. Well, they're, they're revamping the burn policy here now. Because we have a burn policy. If it is, if it is paper, cardboard... Or wood that has not been chemically treated, um, meaning kiln dried only, um, mm-hmm. you you are allowed to burn that um, as part of to eliminate the amount of stuff going into a landfill. Mm-hmm. And you know you, we've never had an ordinance about having a campfire in your yard because a lot of people here have you know brick fire pits and whatever in their yard, and we live in the country that's you know. You do that. Well, I guess his neighbor got pissed off because there was snow coming off of his carport and landing in the neighbor's driveway. That's, that is what sparked it all. It wasn't even fire that caused the fucking problem, Jan. It was snow. <laughs> that makes total sense. Yeah, makes total sense. So now they're, they're revamping the burn policy here in town. And you will be able to have a fire in your yard so long as your fire does not exceed 36 inches. It's fire. You know, it it acts in accordance with the laws of physics, not the laws of man. Well, you know, and I'm kind of confused by that. Are they talking 36 inches across? Is it 36 inches high? Is it 36 inches around? Is it 36 square inches, which basically is a candle flame? You know, what the fuck is it? I don't know, but I, 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 please God... Take your GoPro camera and go ask your legislators to define it. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and all be 
because the guy didn't want snow in his driveway, he's bitching about fire. Um, how about you say the carport was there when you bought your house and your driveway has always bordered that one. Get the fuck over it. Okay. <sighs> People are unbelievable. They really are. And you live in the country. I, I figured, you know. Yeah, it's I mean, the country, and, nobody's there to hassle you. And for anybody that doesn't understand how far in the country I live, Google Map, Shingle House, Pennsylvania. It's a cute little place. All nine streets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Google Map this shit. I live in the fucking country. I mean, I we you were telling Alex earlier, you know, Alex is under the impression that I lived in western New York. Well, that is yep. because Buffalo, New York is the closest major city to me. Um, mm-hmm. Erie, Pennsylvania is, is farther west than Buffalo is north. Um, right. But, yeah, I live in the middle of the jingweeds. When you look at the shit on a map, there is nothing but trees. Lots <laughs> and lots of trees. If you zoom in, you're going to see cows. <laughs> Well, the cows are bothered by the PM 2.5. They, oh, you're probably going to need to put a filter on those campfires now. Well, New, do you realize that Western New York has already gone through? And I mean, in Western New York really is an agricultural community. It mm-hmm. it really is. I know. I've been there. Um, you know, Buffalo is not indicative of Western New York. Um, because if you look at that shit on a map, most of that is, oh, yeah, fucking trees. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But they made all the farmers there. The farmers had, if they had, now a lot of farmers, when they went and bought land in the past, and you know this from growing up in the country, Jan, mm-hmm. if there was a piece of property over here that didn't have water on it and a piece of property over there with water on it, they went and bought the shit with water on it. Mm-hmm. Because that's right. Animals and plants need water. They like water. It helps them to live. Yes. They so, don't do well with Gatorade. Right. So now they have passed these stupid ignorant things farmers that had a stream running through their property had to fence off the stream so that the cows can't poop in the water you know i've never seen a cow turn itself around so it could yeah you know take a leisurely crap in the water jan they had to put bridges over the water to get the cows from one side to the other. I am not even kidding you. <laughs> a cow catwalk. I'm just like, what? And they're like, well, they're worried about the pollution that, that the cow feces causes in the water supply. Okay, hold on. Wait a minute. You know that, that algae bloom in Lake Erie that almost poisoned all those people in Ohio? Mm-hmm. Do you know what that was from? I believe that's from chemical fertilization. It's and the from chemicals. Septic tank yeah, leak. it's the chemicals that we put in our sewage treatment plants. Yay! It's bleach. It wasn't from the cow shit. <laughs> yeah, but you you can't you can't prohibitively tax people and get them to behave the way you want by saying it's the industrial chemicals we're putting in the water to make it safe for you to drink. 
Yeah, you know the water that doesn't bother your skin when you take a shower six months out of the year, but as soon as the snow flies, makes you want to crawl out of your skin? That's it, why we have we have a whole house filter. It's probably have, that stuff. We have a whole house filter because I cannot stand chlorine. It makes your skin red and blotchy. It's it's not good to it's not good to inhale chlorine gas. I like a hot shower, and I don't like inhaling chlorine gas. Oddly enough, and there's plenty of that that comes off the water here. Let me tell you, the water here kind of sucks. The whole house filter makes it livable. I am. I wrote a response to an article that was in one of Parr's um, Texas newspapers, uh, the city of Waco, Texas. Is the city of Waco is trying to pass this smoking this e-cig yeah. ban, and and I wrote a response to that, and mm-hmm. and you know, and it's like listening when when Kevin was playing the clips of the hearing mm-hmm. um, up there, and where Greg spoke, and where the lady's like, well, but it still contains nicotine. Mm-hmm. Well, part of the response that I've started writing to all of these things when I when I write my responses is, okay, you want to talk about my nicotine. Because is what who is it? Alex? Wasn't Alex the one that that came out with the my nicotine addiction? Well, why do yeah. you care? Yeah, um, I'm not selling myself in the park. Yeah, for... yeah. The fact that I'm addicted to nicotine it has absolutely no bearing on you, other than the fact it keeps me happy and makes me not want to rip your fucking head off your shoulders. <laughs> um, but you know, I said you know if you want to talk about nicotine, it's like okay, well let's talk about fluoride then. Because fluoride is extremely deadly. Well, it is extremely deadly. And don't forget, there's been three actually really well-respected studies that have shown it actually does dumb you down. So all, all the people that we used to think should have to wear tinfoil hats because they said they're listening to our phone calls. Chlorine is making uh, chlorine and all the other crap they're putting in the water. Fluoride is making us stupid. Um, it is, and and your TV is listening to you. Yeah, not mine's not because mine's not so that damn smart. Much. I have a dumb TV, Jan. Well, I have a dumb TV too, but you know, I it, it killed. Did you see the uh, the Barbie story? No. There's a Barbie now oh, that God. your child can talk to. We'll talk back to your child. But then it collects everything that your child says and sends it to Mattel. And what Mattel does with the information, nobody knows. Well, isn't that lovely? Mm. I thought Furbies were creepy. (laughs) Furbies were creepy. I remember when the NSA wouldn't let anybody bring a Furby into work. There are three of those in my attic, Jan. Three. I love my Furbies. They oh, don't have any batteries in them, but I love them. Uh, my daughter, my daughter, my oldest daughter used to torture us with these stupid Furbies because I made sure Lexus's was in her room and Polly's was in his room and Jesse was Jesse's was in her room, right? Right. Because God forbid these fucking Furbies could see each other, they would They'd have Furby talking. parties in the middle of the fucking night. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding, people. Furbies had Furby parties. They really did. <laughs> they did. It was creepy ass shit. Um, so needless to say, when Furbies came back out, mm-hmm. see, Jesse used to sneak around and get all three of them and put them someplace because she knew that they would start <laughs> up in the middle of the night and freak me out. Okay. <laughs> I bought Emily and Eric each a Furby. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, and Jesse said, 
Emily came over the one time and she's like, my Furby doesn't like me. And I'm like, and, and I'm looking at her. I'm like, well, Emmy, honey, why doesn't your Furby like you? I don't know. It won't talk and eat it. It won't nothing anymore. And so, you know, Uncle Ber- Uncle Bernie took her off to, to play the cow tipping game thing on the Wii that she loves. And her and Eric went off. And I looked at Jesse and I said, you took the fucking batteries on her Furby, didn't you? And my daughter looked at me and she goes, I would never do that. <laughs> yeah. Little bitch. She did. Took the, yeah. Poor Emily was just heartbroken and devastated that her, thinking her Furby didn't like her anymore. And it was her mother had snuck the batteries out. Her mother had finally had enough. Yeah. Well, you know, I think my favorite thing you've ever told me is that Bernie is not allowed to have a smart TV. He's not. Oh, no, I'm yelling at him, and, and he's like, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was, my, that was my bad. Well, you know, I mean, it was his bad luck that he happens to ask me for a smart TV within a week of us doing that show. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, um, I think it was necessary to talk about it, though. Because mm-hmm. people aren't talking about this stuff. I think because it's there and and trying to pick out what's important and what matters kind of sucks. Sucks for me. Um, And I I don't think it's really fun for any of us when we we do this stuff. But I think it's really important that we do talk about it. And speaking of children. (sighs) Education giant Pearson's monitor students' social media accounts while testing. A superintendent of a New Jersey school district called the practice disturbing. The world's largest education company, Pearson, has been monitoring the social media accounts of students while they take their PARCC Common Core tests, journalist Bob Braun reported on his website Friday, calling the practice spying, which it is. It is. The PARCC test is administered in several states, including New Jersey, where one superintendent wrote a letter on March 10th to several others calling the practice a bit disturbing. Pearson told the Washington Post that it monitors test takers' social media accounts to make sure no one is cheating. In the letter, Elizabeth Jewett, superintendent of Wachung, Jesus, Wachung, Hills Regional High School District confirmed that the Department of Education had informed her that Pearson was monitoring the social media of all students during the PARCC testing. She described an instance in which the district's testing coordinator received a late night call from the state education department, according to Braun. Pearson had contacted the department concerning a student tweeting during a test with a picture of a question, and the education department was calling for disciplinary action. Jewett looked into the allegation and discovered that the student had posted a tweet about the test, but without a picture or a test question, after the exam was over. She added that the mother of the student being investigated was, quote, highly concerned as to her child's tweets being monitored by the Department of Education. Jewett wrote that the monitoring may raise parental concerns about privacy, potentially stopping their children from taking tests. This is the letter. Good morning, all. Last night at 10 p.m., my testing coordinator received a call from the NJDOE that Pearson had initiated a Priority 1 alert for an item breach within our school. 
the information that the NJDOE initially called with was that there was a security breach during the test section, and they suggested that the student took a picture of a test item and tweeted it. After further investigation on our part, it turned out that the student had posted a tweet, no picture, at 3.18 p.m. after school that referenced a PARCC test question. The student deleted the tweet, and we spoke with the parent, who was obviously highly concerned as to her child's tweets being monitored by the DOE. The DOE informed us that Pearson is monitoring all social media during PARCC testing. I have to say I find that a bit disturbing. And if our parents were concerned before about a conspiracy with all of the student data, I am sure I will be receiving more letters of refusal once this gets out. Not to mention the fact that the DOE wanted us to also issue discipline to the student. I thought this was worth sharing with the group. Liz, Elizabeth C. Jewett, superintendent. Jewett posted a statement to the school district's website on Saturday confirming the authenticity of the original letter. The email shown in his article is authentic, Jewell wrote. I, am, I did not authorize the release of this email, nor am I aware of who did release it. I'm also not aware of the motives they may have had behind this release. Jesus Christ, that's horrible. She needs an editor before she speaks. That said, I, am com- I completely stand behind my comments as they represent not only my views and concerns, they also represent the views and concerns of the Board of Education. Pearson commented to the Washington Post, stating that monitoring social accounts helps secure the fairness of a test. The security of a test is crucial to ensure its fairness for all students and teachers and to ensure that the results of any assessment are trustworthy and valid. We welcome a debate and a variety of opinions, but when test questions or elements are posted publicly to the Internet, we are obliged to alert PARCC states. Any contact with students or decisions about student discipline are handled at the local level. We believe that a secure test maintains fairness for every student and the validity and integrity of the test results. I have a lot to say. I knew you would. Okay, first off, every one of these students that's taking this test has been excused from another class to take it, correct? Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. You know, I mean, they should be in a different class, but they stopped that class... Right. Because the whole class is taking the test. Where the fuck are these teachers? Number one. Okay? Instead of having one teacher, because this is what happens. Here's what happens. One teacher goes in to monitor the test, and the rest of the motherfuckers are sitting in a break room somewhere, or off grading papers, or doing something else that is not what they're getting paid to do at that time. Okay? Two, kids cheat. This is not a new concept. Kids have cheated in school. For decades, it is up to the paid educational professionals to ensure that these kids aren't cheating. The fact that this Pearson is out spying on these kids' social media accounts is is fucking disgusting to me. Okay? It is absolutely disgusting to me. Because had they worked for anybody else, they would be considered a pedophile or a stalker. Um, Then you have the fact we can just add into this whole mess if they think that this is such a big problem why are they not when the kids are walking into this testing room making these kids leave their cellular devices at the fucking door problem solved then right well the nsa can't monitor them then genie so you're just creating a whole bunch of new problems (sighs) (laughs) 
it's if I was the parent, if I was the parent, I would be suing the school district. I really would. This is ridiculous. I mean, we're just talking about things like Barbies and TV sets and then schools and and this this is your liberty. And Jan, this privacy is liberty. It wouldn't Uh, piss me off so bad if it wasn't for the fact that we had to sign 16 different papers for Bernie to be able to bring his personal laptop to school and use it in class to record or take notes with. Oh, no, he can't have that in class. Well, <laughs> now now school districts are paying somebody to spy on kids' social media accounts. Well, n- and, you know, it, they didn't even... Obviously, the person they had monitoring this shit was in a different fucking time zone because they didn't realize that 315 was... After school. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder if it was ah. somebody even in this country. And I'm not being sarcastic. I mean, a lot of computer work gets shuttled over to India. Because it's cheaper. I, uh, I th- That whole article just set me reading <sighs> through the stratosphere. I was like, you are got to be getting me. I, I just... A lot of this stuff is just like, I feel like I'm getting smacked in the face as I'm reading it. Well, so. And you realize the stupidest thing about it is, is when teachers set up their education plan for the year, they mm-hmm. know what's going to be on these tests. So right. they teach the children the material that is going to be on the test because, oh yeah, the government says they need to pass the test. Mm-hmm. So this is what the kids are taught now. And yep. a lot of it is ignorant, ridiculous bullshit, and they would mm-hmm. be much better off being taught other things. Yep. But, you know, hey, whatever. Um, so, okay, they posted, they asked a question about one of the questions on their Twitter account. Why is this earth-shattering? Why did the Department of Education feel the need to pay somebody to spy on these kids and why is it this heinous offense? The child didn't tweet out, oh, hey, we had this test. You know, here's the answer for questions <laughs> 1, 2, 10, 342, and 346. <laughs> it, it... Yeah. I know. Tax dollars hard at work. Well, um, the joy of the Common Core Standard now includes the fact that your children will be spied upon. Ray? Mm-hmm. Apparently. Okay. Hmm? Apparently. Mm-hmm. I really liked this story. I, I saved it because I liked it. The Orwellian rebranding of mass surveillance as merely bulk collection by Glenn Greenwald. Just as the Bush administration and the U.S. media relabeled torture with the Orwellian euphemism, enhanced interrogation techniques, to make it more palatable, the governments and the media of the Five Eyes Surveillance Alliance are now attempting to rebrand mass surveillance as bulk collection in order to make it less menacing and less illegal. In the past several weeks, this clearly coordinated theme that has arisen in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand as the last defense against the Snowden revelations as those governments seek to further enhance their surveillance and detention powers under the guise of terrorism. This manipulative language distortion can be seen perfectly in yesterday's whitewashing report of GCHQ mass surveillance from the Serval rubber stamp calling itself the Intelligence and Security Committee of the UK Parliament. 
as a committee member, MP Hazel Beers explained yesterday that the parliamentary committee officially invoked this euphemism to justify the collection of billions of electronic communication events every day. The committee actually acknowledged for the first time, which Snowden documents long ago proved, that GCHQ maintains what it calls, quote, bulk personal data sets that contain millions of records and even said about pro-privacy witnesses who have testified before it, quote, we recognize their concerns as to the intrusive nature of bulk collection. That is the very definition of mass surveillance, yet the committee simply relabeled it as bulk collection, purported to distinguish it from mass surveillance, and thus insists that it's all perfectly legal. Bullshit. It's not. Bulk personal data sets. Bulk personal data sets are large databases containing personal information about a wide range of people. Agencies use these data sets in three ways. To help identify SOLS or unknown individuals who surface in the course of investigations. To establish, establish links between individual and groups or else improve understanding of a target's behavior and connections and as a means of verifying information that was obtained through other sources, such as agents. In addition to obtaining bulk surveillance through capabilities such as interception, the agencies also acquire bulk data sets containing personal information about a large number of people. Bulk personal data sets may relate to the following types of information. Start out, start out, start out, start out. Reference note 132 or start out. That's from one of their wonderful documents yesterday. Because that's very insightful. All of those asterisks, I just cannot tell you the amount of information they imparted to me. (laughs) Yeah. This redefinition game goes as follows. Yes, we vacuum up and store literally as much of the internet as we possibly can. Then we analyze all the data about what you're doing and with whom you're speaking, with whom your network of associates is. Based on that analysis of you and all your activities, we then read the communications that we want with virtually no checks or concealing from you what percentage of it we're reading and store as much of the rest of it as technology permits for future trolling. But don't worry, we're only reading the bad people's emails. So run along then. No mass surveillance here, just bulk collection. It's not mass surveillance, but enhanced collection techniques. One of the many facts that has made the redefining of torture so corrupt and indistributably invalid was that there was a long-standing law making clear that exactly these interrogation techniques used by the U.S. government were torture and thus illegal. The same is true of this obscene attempt to redefine mass surveillance as nothing more than mere innocent bulk collection. As Casper Bowden points out, EU law is crystal clear that exactly what these agencies are doing constitutes illegal mass surveillance. From the 2000 decision of the European Court of Human Rights in Amerman versus Switzerland, which found a violation to the right of privacy guaranteed by Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, and rejected defense from the government that no privacy violation occurs if data is not reviewed or exploited. The court reiterates that the storing of data, 
relating to the private life of an individual falls within application of Article 8.1. The court reiterates that the storing of public authority of information relating to an individual's private life amounts to an interference within the meaning of Article 8. The subsequent use of stored information has no bearing on that finding. A separate 2000 ruling found a violation of privacy rights even when the government is merely storing records regarding one's activities undertaken in public, such as attending demonstrations. Because public information can fall within the scope of private life where it is systematically collected and stored in files held by the authorities. That's why the EU parliamentary inquiry into the Snowden revelations condemned NSA and GCHQ spying in the strongest possible terms, pointing out that it was classic mass surveillance and thus illegal. That's the same rationale that led a U.S. federal court to conclude that mass metadata collection was very likely an unconstitutional violation of the privacy rights in the Fourth Amendment. By itself, common sense should prevent any of these governments from claiming that sweeping up, storing, and analyzing much of the Internet, literally examining billions of communications activities every week of entire populations, is something other than mass surveillance. Yet this has now become the coordinated defense from governments in the U.S., U.K., Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. It's nothing short of astonishing to watch them try to get away with this kind of propagandistic sophistry. In the wake of our reports with journalist Nikki Hager on GCSB, the leader of the New Zealand Green Party interrogates the country's prime minister in parliament about this completely artificial distinction. There's actually a link there I get it. to a video. Okay, But just as it was stunning to watch, media outlets refused to use the term torture because the U.S. government demanded that it be called something else. The Sorwellian switch in surveillance language is now predictably and mindlessly being adopted by those nations' most state-loyal media outlets. So right, there's actually a link to that part, um, which is video, but if you don't want to really... I like Glenn Greenwald. I like him a lot. Politically, I don't mesh with him too much, but he's absolutely a bulldog about this sort of thing. Um, uh, it's it's something to watch, and I guess we'll stick the link in check. It's it. not really super uplifting, unless you want to play it. Do you want me to play it? The YouTube yeah, link? I could I could use a break. Okay, my mouse all dry. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. Ah, if you believe one version of events, your private communications aren't safe from the spooks. Edward Snowden's revelations blew apart any notion the intelligence agencies were bothered about your privacy. But the other side, Big Brother's a fiction. Only conspiracists really obsess. Well, Westminster's Intelligence and Security Committee today attempted to work out who is right. Richard Watson has been trying to too. An unacceptable abuse of personal privacy or the security and intelligence apparatus acting proportionally given the severity of the terrorist threat. Make your choice. Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee, the ISC, is the only real oversight citizens have. Its report today clears the agencies of breaking the law with huge intercept programs 
They do not seek to circumvent the law, the MPs conclude. But the ISC says the law is unnecessarily complicated and piecemeal law should be replaced with a new single act of parliament. One of the concerns expressed to us by some of our witnesses was that GCHQ was conducting blanket surveillance. Given the very small number of bearers they access, it is clear to us that GCHQ do not conduct blanket surveillance. And it's clear to us from our examination that GCHQ use filters and selection criteria to decide which communications to collect and it is not therefore indiscriminate. So it's not blanket and it's not indiscriminate. Two years ago, the intelligence world was shaken to the core by this man, Edward Snowden. He was the American security cleared contractor who revealed the scale of so-called bulk interception programs carried out by the National Security Agency in America and its British counterpart, GCHQ. Snowden has served our democracy and American democracy very well. A lot of people say he's a traitor, but absolutely, we are now more able to make the decisions at election times because we're informed about what the state on both sides of the Atlantic does. There are passages in this report which make a lot of sense. Most people would agree there is a trade-off between personal privacy and collective security. But critics will say, why now? This is prompting a public debate, but this could have happened any time in the past five years. But if they were doing their job as the Oversight Committee, they should have known what was going on, but they had no idea, palpably had no idea, until Edward Snowden came out and revealed the amount of mass collection of data both on both sides of the Atlantic and across the world. They hadn't responded. The fact that there hasn't been a major mass casualty terrorist attack since the London bombings is a significant achievement. This means goodwill, even gratitude is there. But in any democracy, there's tension between liberty and counter-terror. The focus will now turn to regulation and the clarity of the law. Well, in a moment, we'll speak to the former director of GCHQ, David Omond, who's in Paris. But first, the journalist Gwen Greenwald, who's in Rio, who reported the Edwin, Edward Snowden leaks. Thank you for joining us. You might not like it, but this appears to be a, a clean-ish bill of health. Oh, I totally disagree. And actually, it seems like most British media outlets disagree with me as well. The headline of The Guardian, for example, was UK surveillance law needs to be a needs overhaul. Um, the Telegraph said GCHQ snooping laws need to be overhauled in the wake of Snowden. The essence of the report is that there is woefully inadequate accountability and transparency within this legal framework. A British court last month said that what GCHQ was doing was illegal because of how secret it is, and it called for a major overhaul of these spying laws to fix these problems that we would never have known about but for Edward Snowden. I think it's quite a vindication. Except on two key findings, it says the intelligence agencies do not circumvent the law, and crucially, that what they do does not amount to blanket surveillance, that its activities do not equate to the kind of indiscriminate snooping on everybody that Snowden's revelations implied. 
Well, I think it's important to realize that, yes, this committee of eight members of parliament that has been notorious for not doing its job and being a rubber stamp for what the intelligence community wants. In fact, there are things in the report where they say, we didn't even know GCHQ was doing these things until we learned about them by reading in the newspaper, such as spying on, on lawyers, reach certain conclusions that other bodies in Europe and in the United States have fundamentally disagreed with. And the essence of what they're doing is to say, we're going to take mass surveillance, the collection of billions of emails and telephone calls weekly, and we're going to call it something else, a better euphemism, bulk collection. And so we're going to say it's not really mass surveillance. It's just like what the U.S. tried to do when they said, oh, we're not torturing, this is just enhanced interrogation techniques. There are many bodies around the world that vehemently disagree with what this committee says, but I don't think it's a surprise that the British government is saying, we, the British government, didn't break the law. The important part of the report says there's a fundamental overhaul needed in these laws because there's not enough transparency. But crucially, this is not meant to be the British government saying this. They're meant to be an independent committee. Are you questioning their integrity? Because if you're not, are you not in danger of sounding like somebody who's only ever going to respect the findings of a report if you agree with them? You seem to be saying that when eight politicians who actually are part of the British government, they're, they're members of parliament, get together and say something that it's somehow improper or it makes you strange or conspiratorial to dare question it as though it's sort of like an encyclical being handed down by the Pope. Um, I would remind you that your country was led into an aggressive war in Iraq because members of parliament and members of your government said all sorts of false things about Saddam Hussein and journalists like you told people who questioned it, oh, you're being conspiratorial. What I'm How dare you, you question Greenwald. the government? What Are I'm you suggesting their lie? It's whether or not you question the integrity of the committee. I'm not asking you about your view of what the British government's done, but it's an important distinction. Do you think this whole report was just a waste of time? Or is this committee a waste of time? Should they not even have bothered? As I think I made very, very clear on a couple of occasions, I think this report is extremely positive and extremely significant in pointing out that this framework of surveillance fundamentally lacks the accountability and oversight and transparency that democracies require. I don't question their integrity. I question the conclusions that they've reached, as do European courts that said that this is mass surveillance that breaks the law, as have American courts and commissions that have said none of this is necessary to stop terrorism. I'm pretty sure there's nothing improper about questioning the conclusions of a parliamentary committee, but parts of the report I wholeheartedly agree with and think are incredibly important. Mr. Greenwald, thank you. Now to David Omond in Paris. Whether people are disturbed or not by what this report says today, and indeed by Edward Snowden's revelations, we still have a big fog about how much of this is really going on. This report has a big gap in terms of how much of this kind of surveillance really happens? Well, this parliamentary report comes on top of two uh, independent court judgments, which comes on top of two uh, uh, major reports by the senior judge, who is the surveillance commissioner. And they all conclude there is no mass surveillance going on, they conclude that what is going on is within the law, it's necessary, it's proportionate, it keeps us safe. So I think that's the starting point. What the committee also says, and a number of us, including myself, have been saying this for a long time, is that the law is very complicated. 
you will find powers in a number of different acts. So the committee have said, why don't we have a consolidation act after but, the, the general election? And then we can pull it all together and the public will be able to see. But you can't expect the uh, detail of the sources and methods of intelligence agencies uh, to, be made, to be made public. But can't we expect by now to have some idea of the actual scale of what's going on? You go through this report and there are asterisks whenever it, you ask for a percentage of how much of our communication is actually being analysed, how much is actually being listened well, these to. Are quite, these are quite everywhere. sensitive numbers. But, but, well, there aren't actually. There are uh, uh, elisions of specific bits of information which should not be in the public domain because they would only help our enemies. But, but what's so damaging about knowing... You will find numbers... No, no, but you will find numbers in there, for example, about the number of uh, interception warrants that have been signed. You'll find that there details about how many of those were for law enforcement and how many were for uh, national security purposes. There's much more transparency. This report is... a. Uh, in a sense, it's a breakthrough in transparency. It's something I've been arguing for, that we don't need to be so secret about how the law actually applies. And it's actually very necessary that the public should understand uh, what the law allows and, importantly, what it doesn't allow. But we also know this, now, David Oman, take... but we also know now, David Oman, as the report reveals, that, in fact, there has been a member of staff sacked for gross misconduct for conducting unauthorized searches. Why shouldn't we be more worried about that? That was new information we only know about because of this report. Well, no, you, you would have known about that because the Interception Commissioner put it in his annual report. But the, uh, the fact is, I would regard that as a huge reassurance. That individual was caught because the agency was carefully monitoring what its staff were doing and ensuring they were only operating within the law. When the individual was identified, my understanding is there was a disciplinary process and the individual has been dismissed. Now, name me another organisation that would have been uh, acting so swiftly and so promptly to uphold the values that they have. So I, I, I don't regard that as disturbing. I regard it as reassuring that they are being very careful with these important powers which are given. I would say this report should draw a line under these endless accusations that uh, the British intelligence community is trying somehow to uh, circumvent uh, the law. We should now, I think, have a moment of silence from Mr Greenwald and his supporters and Mr Snowden and his supporters. They've been running a guerrilla campaign against British intelligence. It's been harming our own security, the security of the public. And it's about time they stop that. Let's focus on the future and how we can actually produce some new legislation which is easy to understand and which gives the public the transparency that's actually needed. But don't expect the intelligence agencies to open their doors and say, come and inspect, inspect exactly uh, what we are doing. David Oman, thank you so much for joining us from Paris. We will see if any of that comes to pass. Of course, the committee did promise that there should be new legislation on this. No doubt that will take some time to be agreed. But that is all we have time for tonight. Thanks for watching. You know, what I got from that
was that they didn't want to let Glenn Greenwald debate that guy. And they do that a lot whenever there's contentious opinions. And, and they always put the opinion that they don't want you to really pay attention to first. So they have no chance to counter anything somebody says. You know, it's like every time we see an, an e-cig story where Stanton glances there. They always put that schmuck last. Oh, I don't know. Well, the time they put him on with Carl and he was ranting and screaming like a loon, that was pretty fucking bad. Yeah, I think it made him look worse, actually. But <sighs> these people can't face honest criticism. They don't want to hear that people don't like having their whole digital life, their digital liberty, their digital papers, their digital communications swept up and stored somewhere. I mean, for better or worse, the way things have gone on with people and their phones and their computers and the things they do online, that's become a part of their lives and an important part of their lives. And all of that is just being hoovered up and locked away. God knows what's being done with it. We don't even really know. And it's being done to everyone. Mass surveillance. Billions of people. That's mass surveillance. I don't care what you call it. You can call it playing a peeping Tom in your neighbor's window. It's still mass surveillance. They're still sweeping up everything you do. No matter how innocuous or how innocent it is, it's all being stored somewhere and analyzed in some computer. And I don't know about you. I just don't want that. Does anybody really want that? I wouldn't think. Yeah. I think maybe it's just an old-fashioned idea that people deserve privacy. That police work of any kind should be hard because it's so incredibly intrusive. It should not have been made easy. You should not take the job of a policeman, an investigator, an agent, and make it obsolete by using computer technology. They at least have human discretion. A computer doesn't have that. A program does not have that. It has no way to distinguish between someone making a joke and someone talking about something in a scholarly way and someone threatening to blow up a fucking building. It has no way of knowing. And that's a problem. It's a big problem. I mean, you know, this is ridiculous. We talk about things like this all the time. We talk about drones and, and all this stuff and... This is what happens when man serves the machine. The machine doesn't serve man. It's a problem. It's a real problem. And we really need to have an important discussion on this earth about privacy and liberty, your digital rights. All of these things are important because your online life is now part of the life you live. It's not just the life you live in the outside world. And there is no privacy anywhere except between your two ears. And people really need to think about what kind of world 
their kids are going to grow up in when this is commonplace and normal. You got anything? <laughs> no, ma'am. Okay. I got nothing because, I mean, I, I, it, I agree with you. I just think it's messed up. So It is screwed up. Okay. I'm, um, I'm going to go and uh, blow my nose. <laughs> um, so, Ed? Sure thing. Thank you. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in-stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. We'll see you next week. Hopefully, Barry will be with us. Hopefully, the whole crew will be reunited again. Have a nice night.